Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. How are we all doing? Love to hear all that, that rumbling, chattering. It's, it's good to, to know that the body of Christ is alive. So it's good to see you all. Well, it's springtime. And spring is a wonderful time of year. Although we've been getting some weird weather lately. I don't know, it's still raining in May, which is a little unusual. I mean, this is Memorial Day weekend, and it's still raining. I, I was uh, in Chicago last week, and, and the temperature was in the 40s. Uh, that's crazy. In some parts of the country, it's still snowing. And I, if you heard, there's like tornadoes going through the Midwest. So spring, though, is usually symbolic of new life, about growth. And, and I'm a gardener, and I love to plant new plants during springtime. And I, for example, I just put in um, tomatoes about a couple months ago. And there's, they're supposed to be flourishing now, although the weather's kind of dampering that. But when we grow things, especially plants, we need to make sure certain conditions are good for the plants to, to thrive. You have to make sure there's good soil, and you have to make sure there's plenty of sun. You have to provide water and nutrients so that, for my particular case, tomato plants will bear good fruit. And the same thing in our parenting. When we care for our children, we make sure they get plenty of rest, right? We give them time to make sure they can sleep, and then we also make sure they get good food for nutrition, and exercise, and we take them to the doctor's appointments so that we make sure they're healthy. All this is to ensure that they will grow up well. So growth is a good thing. I think we can all agree on that, that growth is a good thing. Because the flip side, if you have no growth, that tends to mean there's stagnation. And if stagnation isn't changed, that leads to death. And that's not a good thing. Now, applying these concepts to our Christian faith journeys, how many of us really take seriously about how we grow spiritually? Think about that. That's a really good question to, to wrestle with. We are now currently in a series which is dealing with community, and I'm going to make a case where the community that we set our, our roots into is vital to our spiritual growth. Jesus says in John 15, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. And a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus is saying here, essentially, you cannot grow or thrive by yourself. You can't be alone. You need to be attached to Jesus, to abide, to be together with him. And I want to emphasize that word together. Can you all say together? Together. You're going to hear that word over and over again through my message. That it is important to be together. And in this particular case, Jesus is emphasizing, you need to be together with me to abide. Being together in community with Jesus leads to growth. Also, in the book of Acts, more about the Christian community is given to us. In Acts 2, we find the word together in this passage, and it's repeated twice. 
Acts 2 verse 44 says, all who believe were together. And further down, the believers were in verse 46, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So in that passage, this model of Christian community, the word together is said twice. And this togetherness is blessed by God, who adds to their number. And we see that in verse 47 in Acts 2. Growth happens when believers are together. So if we take seriously what Jesus said in John 15, and what this passage in Acts 2 tells us, being together is the norm for Christians. And Acts 2 verse 46 gives us two ways, two forms of community that is important to note. First, there's large gatherings at the temple or at church. And that's what's happening here on Sunday mornings when we gather together to worship. This is being together as Christians. And the second way that's uh, described in Acts 2, when we gather, it says in smaller groups and in homes, which in our particular case, we call home groups at Christian Layman. So if we agree that spiritual growth is good, that is what Jesus wants us to do. Then practically speaking, home groups are the best way or the best option for this togetherness to take place. Groups are a good way for that to happen, to have spiritual growth. There's a saying, it's kind of an old cliche, but it's said that life change happens best in small groups. Life change happens best in small groups. And we'll see soon how Jesus uses small groups to his advantage to grow his people. But I want to make, uh, take a moment now just to um, address a, an issue that often comes up about belonging. That just because you are in a group, in a small group or a home group, it doesn't mean you feel like you belong. We all have a need to belong. God has created the, us each to have to want to belong. We're not meant to be orphans. We're all meant to belong to some family. And when we try out a home group, we need to feel like we belong there first before we have this concept of being part of a community. So, so your pre physical presence in a group doesn't mean you have a sense of belonging. If we don't feel like we belong, then life change or spiritual growth will not happen. Now, in this room, there's probably a variety of people here in different stages, different phases of their lives. Some of you are already in a home group, and you're enjoying a great experience there. So I'm kind of preaching to the choir. I don't need to convince you that small groups or home groups are a great thing. You're already experiencing it in your life. So this is just reinforcing that. Now, some of you here are in a small group or a home group, and your experience is not the best. It's not, everything's not going really well, and maybe what I'm going to say this morning will help clarify what home groups are about, what appropriate expectations you may have, and may this help, maybe this will help um, improve your experience in a home group. Now, there's probably a third group of people here who are not in a home group, that home groups are just not your thing. And maybe you've tried them in the past, and maybe you actually got hurt by the experience. So now I want to just say that I, want, I understand you. I, I, I totally empathize with you because 
in many ways, there are parts of my seasons of my own journey that I was in the same place that you were in. But what I can say here is that if you've had a bad experience with home groups or you just don't think it's something that, that, that's part of your life, and maybe you're saying some of these things um, that I've given here on your notes. I don't need another thing to do in my busy life. Or even if I had time, the groups are just too far away from me. Or another thing that often is said, plus I'm not comfortable with other people because basically I'm an introvert. Now these common statements are often uh, common Uh, objections or resistance to being part of a home group but I totally want to say that I as I said earlier I understand that and I can empathize with that but I want to be uh, helpful here to help you help those are in this kind of uh, state to recognize that there are common myths about being part of a small group and I want to kind of debunk some of these myths and I got these these, these concepts from a book that I read by Joseph Meyer. In his book, he calls um, The Search to Belong. And he brings up multiple myths that we often uh, don't understand and sometimes uh, don't realize, but it's good to recognize them. And the first myth is that more time equals more belonging. That if you spend more time with people, with a group of people, that you'll get a, eventually a sense of belonging. Well, Joseph Meyer says that's not always the case. So we have to realize that just spending more time doesn't necessarily mean you're going to belong. And just for example, a lot of us have gone through, uh, especially you've gone through the education system. You can go to a class, and there's a lot of people in that class. You're going to spend a lot of time with those people in that class, but it doesn't mean you're going to have any kind of relationship with the person that's sitting next to you in the classroom. So spending more time doesn't necessarily mean you're going to belong to the same people that you're spending a lot of time with. A second myth is that more proximity will mean more belonging. That just sitting next to each other will automatically make you bonded friends. Now, I can just say that a lot of us live in neighborhoods where we have neighbors really really close to our homes but we're not as close or bonded to our neighbors as people that we have known for years who live across the country, who even live simply just on the other side of town. So proximity doesn't necessarily bring the sense of belonging to the people that are near you. A third myth is that more personality means you're going to have more belonging, meaning if you have an extroverted kind of personality that you tend to be more comfortable and easy around people. But introvertedness or uh, extrovertedness has nothing to do with belonging because there are plenty of extroverts that I know that have that sense of loneliness even in the midst of a crowd. So personality doesn't help or hinder whether you belong or not. Now, let's turn to John 21, because I want us to see how Jesus uses small groups to break down some of these myths, but also how he uses small groups to help people grow. So turning in your Bibles, and I'm sure it's going to be projected behind me as I read from 
chapter 21 of John, starting with verse 1. And, and this, this passage is one of my favorite stories about Jesus. And you'll learn soon why that is. Starting with verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Now, the Sea of Tiberias is just another way, another name for um, the Sea of Galilee. Now, Terry and I, Terry, my wife, we, we last month were in the Holy Land. So now when I read scripture, it gives me a little bit better picture of, of what's, what the Bible is talking about geographically. And so the Sea of Galilee is the area where Jesus essentially grew up. He was born in Bethlehem, which is further south. But now his family settled in Nazareth, which is near the Sea of Galilee. And so the Sea of Tiberias, Tiberias is a a, a shore, it's a town by the shore of Galilee. So when it says uh, that the, the Sea of Tiberias, it's also meaning the Sea of Galilee. And then there's Cana, and there's Bethsaida, and all these towns are around the Sea of Galilee. And that's, this is essentially the area that Jesus grew up. And so continuing in verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which uh, refers to um, John and James. And two others of his disciples were together. And these were likely Philip, and uh, I'm going blank here, but it's, it's for sure Philip and, and, and probably Andrew. Andrew's not mentioned here because Andrew's the brother of Peter. But all of, those, all of these disciples are from the Galilee area. So it would make sense that these, these fellows would be uh, gathered together at the Sea of Galilee. So Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, and this is referring to John, Therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw the charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was not the third... This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And that is the word of the Lord. So from this passage, I, I said that you, we will be able to see how Jesus used small group dynamics to help grow his disciples. 
And there are these essential things, what I call kind of like conditions, that need to be in place. Just like when we raise plants or children, giving good rest, good uh, nutrients, and protection from pests and diseases. You have to have the right conditions for spiritual change to happen. And Jesus uh, does this with his, his disciples. And the first thing, the first essential that I see here is for life change to happen in small groups is that we have to live life together. And we see this in verse 2 to 3. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. Here again, I want to note that word together. It shows up in verse 2. The, the disciples were together. And that's very important. That's a very important word for small groups, for believers, to be together. And that's what was noted here in this passage, that the disciples were together. And the disciples were hanging out with each other because this is their norm. Jesus had them gathered for three years where they li- uh, lived together, ate together, slept together, did ministry together. And for sure, they experienced the highs and lows of life, of doing ministry together. And in this passage, it says that after Jesus died and was resurrected the disciples were kind of experiencing mixed emotions they just lost their leader and and they're not sure what to do and in this particular case you see them all still together gathered and peter decides to go do what he's always done for most of his life and is go fishing which is something i can admire i love to go fishing and but Peter's a professional fisherman, and a lot of his, his brother Andrew, also John and James, and Nathaniel, and Philip, they're all fishermen. They're all from Galilee, and that's why they're all gathered together, and they're going to go fishing. And, that's what, and what's important, though, we see here the disciples that were with Peter says, we'll go do it with you. That's really meaningful, that Peter goes, says, Let's go, I'm going to go fishing. And the other disciples said, we'll go with you. That means they're in unity. They're, they're united. That they are going to do something that is common to all of them. And it's going to go fishing. Together, they went fishing. And Jesus had called these diverse men to a small group to be around him. And for three years, he shaped and molded them. But more importantly, these men got to know each other. I'm sure they had different personalities. Some were introverted, some were extroverted, some were uh, nice, and some were maybe not so nice. And you can imagine the the teasing, the fighting, the, the jealousy among them, which many of the biblical stories show. But these men bonded, and they were together. Life together in this small group community made these ordinary men into apostles. So life change can happen in small groups. And so if we follow the example of the apostles, then we must also live life together in our home groups. It isn't just showing up 
on a given day, study the Bible, pray, and then say goodbye. It means more than that. To live life together in a small group means to actually share and, and, and create memories together. I know in all the home groups that I've been a part of, with the people in my group, I, I go vacation with them. I go camping. I go fishing. I play basketball with them. We go to movies. We go to shows. We have meals, potlucks. We have times where we go to their children's programs or sporting events. It means more than just showing up on one particular day. It means going and having opportunity to help them out by doing babysitting, like, like Angie mentioned earlier. Or when we have a personal family emergency and we can call up someone from our home group to go pick up our kids. Or there are times when there's a disaster. I remember one home group member one time there was flooding in their home and we had to go as a home group and help move the furniture. That's what it means to live life together. And small groups provide those opportunities where you can do that. Because one of the most important things that Jesus commands us to do is to love one another. And in a home group for believers, this is an opportunity for us to express what Jesus commands us to do. It's where the rubber hits the road. But to be able to love others requires life change. Because it's not easy to love other people. So loving others requires life change. And life change then allows us then to live life together in a small group. Life change happens in small groups. And that is what the disciples experience in their group. And that can be experienced by you if you are part of a healthy, normal home group. Now, now not only spending time living life together helps create an environment where life change can happen, spiritual growth. We must also grow spiritually together. So it's not only just living life together and having fun and, and eating and, and just playing around. There is the need to spiritually grow together. So I mentioned earlier, it isn't just about praying and studying the Bible. Those things do have to happen together. And it actually happens better in a small group setting. It is important to be growing in Christ together. For you see this in this passage from John 21 in verses 12 to 13. In verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. And I thought this, this is why, this is one of my favorite passages is that Jesus, in, in, in the last thing he's gonna be doing with his disciples before he goes to heaven, he says, come and have breakfast. I don't know, how many of you like breakfast? Yeah, I love breakfast. Actually, yeah, yesterday, actually, I had breakfast for dinner. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, you can have breakfast any time of the day. And that's what I decided to have yesterday, was to have breakfast for dinner. And here, Jesus is serving to his disciples. You know, they're, they're all emotionally uh, a wreck. They're, they, they're not sure what to do, what the future is going to happen. And Jesus gathers them and he says, hey, come have breakfast. And that's kind of a cool thing. But what I want to point out here is that Jesus is serving them food. 
And this makes, he's making a, a, a reminder, a connection that Jesus provides them their sustenance. That Jesus is their, their source of nutrition. Jesus is reminding them that he is their daily bread. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Not only physically, but also spiritually. But here's an interesting observation that I make. That, yes, Jesus says, come and have breakfast. And then he's reminding the, the need to be dependent on Jesus and that he's the source of, of, of their both physical and, 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 and spiritual um, nutrition. This invitation is given to them all. It's a group invitation. It's not an invitation to just in, uh, to, to them as individuals. It is an invitation to the group of disciples. Come and have breakfast. And it, I think this is important to see because Jesus is emphasizing the importance of eating and feeding on Jesus together. That's why we often we call it communion. At the Lord's table, we come together to feed at his table. It's a concept that's often lost in our culture because in America, it is an emphasis on individualism. But here, in a Christian context, it isn't about individuals. It's about the group. It is being together. And this invitation that, that Jesus is giving is not to them individually. It's given to them as a group to come together. Can it be that growing in Christ, being fed by Jesus, enjoying the word who became flesh is a community experience? That a necessary part of life change and growth requires us to be in a small group. If true, and I say, and I believe it is, then in a home group, we are not just to hang out and have good times, but also a reminder that we are to grow in our knowledge of Jesus together. To study God's word together, to pray together, to fast together. And sure, you can do these, dis these disciplines by yourself, but there is a better way, and that is to do it together. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron. We help each other in our wrestling of scripture. We can be sounding boards to our meditations and reflections on God's word. We tap into the power of the Holy Spirit when two or more of us are in agreement when we pray. We can spur one another on in our journeys with Jesus and carry each other's burdens, lifting each other up when we have fallen. So finally, life change happens best when we are serving Jesus together. And we see this in verse 6, in, in verses 6 and verses 10 to 11. Jesus said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And we'll, further down in verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. This story, as the disciples were experiencing this, is a reminder of a previous story of fishing. Right? So this is at the end of t Jesus' time here, but in the early days of Jesus being here on earth, 
with his disciples. He had a, another experience with Peter about fishing, where the, Jesus told Peter, where, who was fishing all night and caught nothing, to cast his net into the water, and the nets were full. And so Jesus is doing the same thing again with Peter. And so this is a way that Jesus is reminding Peter and the other disciples who were there too with Peter of the mission of the calling that he had given to them. And that is to be fishers of men. That Jesus had called them to bring the souls of other men to him so that they could be in eternity with him. It's essentially evangelism sharing the gospel. And, 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 and in this passage, it's kind of curious because sometimes we, we miss some of these details and I don't know if you actually ever curious about these things. But here it says that Jesus instructed them to cast the net on the right side of the boat. So what's the big deal being on the right side versus the left side or behind or in front? But Jesus says, cast the net on, on the right side. And so what it's happening here is if the disciples are on track with him, it's a reminder of the story of a para- the parable of the sheep and goats that Jesus had shared with his disciples. That in that parable, in Matthew 25, Jesus says he's going to separate the sheep from the goats and the sheep are representative of people who are going to who have, are believers now and who have taken Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Jesus puts those sheep on the right side, and the goats are going to be on the left side. So what this casting of the net on the right side is referring to those people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and those on the right will be with Jesus in heaven. And so that's a connection in the context of what Jesus is telling the disciples now. Your mission, as you are my disciples, are to continue to cast nets to reach people who will be on the right side of Jesus, the ones that will go to heaven for an eternity. And in the same way, if he's telling his own disciples then about this, that's our mission. That we are given the same calling to continue to cast nets on the right side to capture souls of men and women to be in heaven with Jesus. To make us fishers of men. Jesus called his disciples to serve him in a specific mission, to bring the good news of Jesus to the world, to catch and bring souls of people to Jesus, to be with him in eternity. And, and the disciples were obedient to that charge because those of us today who call ourselves Christians, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, the reason why we can do that is because of the faithfulness and the fruitfulness of those original disciples. That after 2,000 years, their, their mission continues on. And for sure, it must continue on through each one of us. 
Likewise, when we serve together in a common purpose to build a church and to reach others for Christ, our lives will change for the better. And also, the lives that we touch with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For sure, when we gather together in our home groups, and I I know all the home groups that, that I've been a part of, an important factor of being together is not just living life together or growing together in Christ together, studying the Bible and praying with it, but it's also serving together, that we do ministry together, whether it's hospitality, ushering, whether it's doing the eye screening, the dads camp out with the kids, whether it's holy childs, whether it's serving on the board of directors, et cetera, et cetera. There are many ways that uh, the home groups I've been involved in have done ministry together. So it's more than just having fun and having potlucks. It's more than just looking at the word and, and reflecting and, and just um, praying together. It's also serving together and spreading the good news of Jesus to other people. Earlier, um, I talked about belonging being an important first step, right? Before you can have uh, this engagement and living together and, and studying together and growing together and also serving together in a home group setting, you have to feel like you belong to that group. Because if you don't belong, the other three things are not really going to happen. And, and in the story of the breakfast at the beach, Jesus demonstrates a beautiful picture of helping people to belong. There's a detail here. Remember, sometimes we, we gloss over certain things we read in the scripture. There's a detail that John, the Apostle John, specifically notes here in this passage about this breakfast on the shore. He says he makes breakfast over a charcoal fire. He didn't just say fire. He said charcoal fire. And all of us who, who know charcoal, right, it's, it has a very distinctive smell. I mean, you can't really forget it. When you smell charcoal, you know it's different than, than a, a oak wood burning. You know the smell of charcoal. And so John refers to this fire as charcoal. And the reason he's doing this, he's doing this for the benefit of Peter. Peter remember, had the embarrassing, shameful thing of denying Jesus three times. John records in that passage, which I believe is in John 18, when Jesus is arrested and interrogated, there are people who see Peter and say, aren't you one of his followers? And, and Peter denies them. In that passage, Peter is standing by a charcoal fire that's made by the soldier, Roman soldiers. And so at that moment when he's denying Jesus three times, he's standing by a charcoal fire, getting warm in the cold night. And here, he's smelling charcoal again. And, and this memory of his shameful act, this embarrassing thing he did, feeling guilty, this baggage that he's carrying is, is being brought up in his memory banks again as he's there having breakfast with Jesus. Very awkward, right? He denied Jesus three times and he's smelling this charcoal fire and he's bringing him back to that moment when he denied him at that fire. But Jesus here 
right after this passage of having breakfast, and I don't have time to go through that, but he redeems Peter three times. He asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I do. And he did it three times just to, 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 to forgive him in a sense the three times that he denied him. And here is a story of redemption, of feeling affirmed. Because immediately, once he forgives Peter, redeems him, restores him, Jesus says, you will be the rock. And upon you, my church will be built. That is a beautiful story of redemption, of restoration, of affirmation. To belong isn't more, it's more than just accepting someone. Because accepting someone is, is almost just like tolerant. I tolerate you. But to actually affirm, even if you have difference of opinions, if, even if you are from diverse backgrounds, to affirm someone means I accept you. I recognize you. I see you as a person. You have value. And that's what it can happen and must happen when we gather together in a home group or a small group. It's an opportunity to love another, one love one another in a way that we will affirm one another. And Jesus does that in this beautiful story. And to be but able to affirm someone, especially someone we don't particularly like, don't get along, have disagreements with, but that shouldn't, that is not exclusive of being able to affirm them. Kind of crazy. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Humanly, we think that's impossible. But with Jesus' help, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that kind of life change in us will be able to allow us to affirm even our enemies. And that's the quality of what it means to belong. So if that's something you're, you're trying to, to connect with somebody or you don't feel connected, think and reflect on how you affirm or you don't affirm each other. Because I think that's the key to understanding what it means to belong. Finding community is finding a place where you are together with other believers and feel that you truly belong because you are affirmed for who you are. And you can only experience this gift of affirmation when you make the commitment, the perseverance, the proactive intentionality to living life together, growing in Jesus Christ together and serving Jesus together. Life change happens best in small groups. It's not easy, but it's possible. Uh, And during this time, Part of being in community is that we can pray together. And and something we've been trying to do uh, in our services now is to have an opportunity for you all to pray together. So I I wanted to call the um, praise team up, and they're going to play some uh, background music as we spend a little bit of time praying. So I want you to pair up with somebody close to you, just two of you together, and just pray. And I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and particularly what I want our community to pray about, because the scripture is clear about telling us to, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And those are clearly 
good, um, good values that, that God wants us to have. And so those two areas, I want us to pray first for, this is a season of graduation. It's an f- exciting time for a lot of our college students, our high school students, even our middle schoolers. All students, they are graduating during this time. So we want to pray for them, to, to bless them during this season, and then also to, to, to give, uh, cl- help them to have clarity for their future and not to have any anxiety or fear. So that's, that's to rejoice with those who, re- who are rejoicing. And the second part of mourning with those who are mourning. Sad to say, um, and it's going to happen until our time is up, but we'll be experiencing the passing of loved ones in our own life. In our community, we've had recently a couple of our members, their parents have passed away. And I'm sure that's not unique. Many of us have experienced it. Uh, Terry had an uncle who just passed away last week. So that's the human condition. So I want us to be able, as a community, pray for those who are mourning, those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. So pair up. Pray silently or out loud, whatever you're comfortable with, but let's go ahead and do that. I'll lead us in this time, and then I'll close the time. We'll spend a few minutes doing this. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the community that you give us. And, and you are a God who is in community. You are a triune God. You have community with your Son and with the Holy Spirit. So you are a God of small groups. <laughs> so God, we pray for you now to be present among us as we pray for those in our community. And let's take a moment now to pray for those who are rejoicing, in particular those who are graduating and experiencing, finishing a chapter in their life, but now also moving on to an unknown future. So let's pray for that.